Welcome back to TanakhCast. This is episode 103. We'll begin with a brief summation of Isaiah chapters 52 through 55 and follow with a consideration of sinning, suffering, and taking the blame for others. Chapter 52 begins with a rousing call to Jerusalem to wake up, dress up, and stand up. And just as the people were oppressed by Egypt and Assyria, they will be redeemed. Quote, Assuredly my people shall learn my name. Assuredly they shall learn on that day that I, the one who promised, am now at hand. Let the festivities begin! Quote, Indeed my servant shall prosper, be exalted, and raised to great heights. Yes, he's back, the servant of God, much maligned, much marred in appearance. Well, more than a man, a god. A great god whose personality is so totally and utterly wonderful. My feeble words of welcome sound wretchedly and pathetically inadequate. Someone whose boots I would gladly lick clean until holes wore through my tongue. A man who is so totally and utterly wonderful that I would rather be sealed in a pit of my own filth and dare tread on the same stage with him. Ladies and gentlemen, the incomparably superior human being, Harry Fink. This is the fourth appearance of the Servant of God, and it's the longest and most complex of the four, where before the teller of the tale about the Servant of God was either God himself or a servant, who also quotes God, here there is a shift in perspective. Kings and the Gentiles speak of the Servant, although they are quoted by God as well, and they speak of the Servant in the future tense. The Servant will prosper. And then the tenses shift to past, as in the Gentiles thought a certain way about the Servant, but now in the present tense they realize differently. And he looks terrible. Deutero Yeshayahu goes into gruesome detail, and the Gentiles think he looks this way because of his sins. Quote, we accounted him plagued, smitten, and afflicted by God. But he takes his lumps. Quote, he did not open his mouth like a sheep being led to slaughter. But it's not clear if indeed the servant of God was led to slaughter, then buried only to rise again. The teller of this sad tale is convinced that the servant of God suffered for them, and his suffering was his penance for their sins. Where we began with a call for Jerusalem to rise up, dress up, and stand up, and in other places Jerusalem is likened to a young woman with a lone child, or a lonely widow, a divorcee, or a captive, here Deuteroyashayahu calls Jerusalem a barren woman. Barrenness in the Tanakh has always been seen as a form of punishment, but don't worry, she'll be redeemed. And if you're unsure about God keeping his promises, Deuteroyashayahu hearkens back to the first big promise God made to humanity. That is, after Noah's flood, when he promised he would never flood the earth again. Noah, what did he say? He's going to destroy the world. Well, he didn't. Again. So he kept his promise. Chapter 55 begins with a number of calls from the prophets to the people, a call that if they heed it, will result in a renewal of the covenant with God, where God will restore the monarchy to its former glory. Long live the king! Long live the king! Long live the king! Long live the king! 
And though humans may falter, God always keeps his promises. Thus endeth the summation, and beginneth the consideration. Perhaps this is a small point, but, you know, it's it's pretty big for Christians. But the notion that Jesus died for our sins, you know, it's a, it's a central tenet in Christianity, and it's represented visually in, in many paintings of the crucifixion. In Roman times, crucifixion was the most popular form of capital punishment, usually for petty criminals and, and slaves. Archaeologists have enlightened us into the way the Romans crucified, and it was very different than how it was portrayed in European art. We know that at the site of the execution, the advanced team had already set up an upright post, the stipe, which is often reused. The dead man walking would carry the horizontal piece, or the partibulum, although carries a bit of a mischaracterization. Normally his hands were already tied to that beam. So when he, that is, Jesus, reached the final destination, the crucifiers would nail his hands, or wrists, to the ends of the crossbar, which was then lifted on to the upright. The partibulum either rested across the top to form like a capital T, called the tau cross from the Greek letter T. It's also known as the crux commissa, or joined cross. Sometimes the cross beam was set somewhat lower down, forming the familiar crux emisa, or intersecting cross. Then the feet were nailed to the upright. The footrest, or supandanium, was an invention of medieval artists. Up to the 13th century, the usual number of nails was four, one in each hand and one in each foot, and thereafter, with few exceptions, the nail count was reduced to three. One foot was nailed over the other. There was also an inscription, or titulus, which spelled out why the condemned was condemned. This was hung around the neck as he was led to execution and was after fixed to the head of the cross. In Renaissance art, the titulus was usually represented in Latin only, Jesus Nazarenus Rex Judiarum, abbreviated to I-N-R-I. There's no J in Latin. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Artists from the Renaissance uh, represent Christ usually dead on the cross, his head inclining on his shoulder generally to the right. As for the crown of thorns, it becomes a staple in the mid-13th century when King Louis IX of France returned from a crusade to the Near East with that holy relic actually in hand. The Romans crucified men in the nude, but the medieval church debated whether Christ would have been naked on the cross. Some of the earliest paintings dress Jesus in a long sleeveless garment. In others, there's a thin band of cloth extending around his waist and under the crotch, the subligaculum. The familiar loincloth, the perizonium, is an invention of artists in the early Middle Ages. Artists began to add additional elements to this basic visual image. They often added a skull and a serpent, and this ties in directly to the doctrine of redemption. A skull is placed at the feet of Jesus first in the 9th century. The skull, which is supposed to represent Adam's skull, is frequently sprinkled with Jesus' blood. And this sprinkling washes away Adam's original sin. The snake, with an apple in its mouth near the skull, further refers to the fall. So Jesus died for the sins of humanity, and his blood erased or papered over the original sin 
that of Adam in the Garden of Eden. But Jesus' story, without all the post-crucifixion resurrection gloss, is still a very Jewish story. He, he was Jewish, his mother was Jewish, all his followers were Jewish. The preaching that we are fairly confident he might have preached does not really stray all that far from the words of Yeshayahu and other Jewish prophets, although we cannot be sure what Jesus actually said or did, as the accounts we have come from folks who are interested in severing the followers of Jesus from mainstream Judaism. What we do know for sure is that when Jesus roamed the Galilee and preached to his first followers, Judea was rife with sectarian Judaism. Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, and Qumran Covenanters each claimed the best and most authentic interpretation of Torah. And there was a lot of trash-talking. Pharisees knocked the ascetics, Qumranites dissed the Sadducees, and Jesus rips into, quote, scribes and Pharisees. Which would explain why the scribes and Pharisees, according to the New Testament, schemed to have Jesus condemned. But did Jesus die for our sins? Well, if you interpret Jesus to be God's servant and read Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5 as, quote, he was wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities, that would make sense. But if you look at the Hebrew, where this translation gets tricky is the preposition meh, which appears twice in this verse. Hu mecholal meh pshainu meduka meh avonotenu musar shlomenu alav ubechavurato nirpalanu. Me is generally translated as from, as in Ani ba me Canada, I come from Canada. But in this verse, from can also mean because, which would make this verse read as follows quote, He was wounded because of our transgressions and crushed because of our iniquities. God's servant did not suffer for our transgressions, but because of them. I hear what you're saying, but. I think you misjudged the guy. In Jewish tradition, there is some intimation that fathers are punished for the sins of their sons and vice versa. And of course, there is the scapegoat upon whom all the sins of Israel are heaped. But only later in the books of Jeremiah and Ezekiel is this idea thoroughly rejected. A sinner suffers for his own sins and not for those of others. And suffering doesn't ennoble, it just sucks. Exile is terrible. Being bruised, crushed, and as sheep brought to the slaughter at the hands of the nations of the world is no garden party. This is the fate of the Jewish people, but it's theirs because of their sins. And their suffering does not make them heroes, but it makes the people who dole out the suffering villains. Deuteroshayahu concludes that when the redemption comes, the villainous nations will recognize and accept responsibility for the inordinate suffering and death of the Jews. Well, isn't that special? I just hope that recognition comes sooner rather than later. Know what I'm saying? If you like what you heard today, spread the word about Tanakhcast. Send a friend an email to say, hey! You should check out Tanakhcast or like Tanakhcast at the show pages on Facebook or Google Plus. Or write a brief review at the iTunes Store, Google Play, Stitcher Smart Radio, or SoundCloud. It's a small thing, really, but it will help other people find Tanakhcast. Or if you want to help in a bigger way, support us at Patreon. Just search for Tanakhcast and pledge your shekels either on a one-time or monthly basis and receive special blessings from the Most High. 
I thank you in advance for that. And I encourage you to join us again in two weeks for episode 104, when we continue in the book of Isaiah with chapters 55 through 59.